0: As a professional welder, Shayna Ford uses Forge FX to practice over and over, which helps her improve her skills.
1: The more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is.
0: Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact.
2: You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through.
3: Hello and welcome to The Credit Edge, a weekly markets podcast. My name is James Crombie. I'm a senior editor at Bloomberg. This week, we're very pleased to have on the show Carmen Arroyo, who covers structured markets for Bloomberg News in New York. How are you, Carmen?
0: I'm good. Thank you for having me, James.
3: We're also delighted to welcome back Paul Vickers, who covers utilities for Bloomberg Intelligence in London. Hello, Paul.
2: James, hi. Good to be back.
3: We'll be coming back to Paul to talk about Thames Water, the UK utility that's blowing up and dragging the whole sector down So do stay with us. But first, Carmen Arroyo with Bloomberg News. What's the big story now with asset-backed securities?
0: Sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. But um, let's talk a little bit about asset-backed securities, as you said. Asset-backed securities are basically bonds that repackage any type of consumer debt. Um, And they're typically very safe and investors love them. The problem right now is that the debt that they repackage, which is given to consumers, is getting a little bit more hairy. Um, consumers are basically running out of pandemic savings, so they're falling back on their payments, and some of the loans they took out, they're just not paying them back, which is impacting the bonds that are or this impacting the bonds that are associated with those loans, and that's especially true in the subprime auto sector.
3: So let's just break that down a little bit for those people who don't know this stuff, asset-backed securities. I mean, you know, David Bowie once got a big loan from repackaging revenue from fu- future music sales. Then streaming came along, so that didn't work out so well for investors, <laughs> but he did get the money. And then in 2008, the, the global financial crisis, um, structured finance, CDOs, all these structured products were responsible for the you know implosion of the global financial system. What about for for cars and um, car loans? How does this all work?
0: Yeah, sure. So how it works is basically if you're like a subprime auto lender, you're basically a company that gives out loans to consumers that need a loan for a car, right? So in order to get more capital in, what you do is you put all those loans together and you sell them as a bond to investors in Wall Street. And then that way you can access like cheap financing That's usually how it works. It's just putting together a bunch of different loans and then repackage them as a bond. Um, So it's basically like financial engineering, like it's a secondary market for the debt. Does that make sense?
3: Yeah, that's good. Um, But so then why are we talking about them now? What's the big deal with um, ABS and, and why in particular in the car sector?
0: Sure. So the issue that's happening in the auto ABS world is that consumers are increasingly not paying back their auto loans. And that's usually fine, but it's not fine for bonds associated with two specific lenders. Those are American Car Center and US Auto Sales. Those two subprime lenders basically closed down their dealerships and closed down their businesses like a few months ago. So consumers that had loans with them are no longer paying them back. And that's becoming an issue for Wall Street. Um, There are bondholders out there that own the riskiest trenches of those bonds that are associated with those loans. And they're starting to get worried because the borrowers are defaulting a lot on their debt. Um, so the issue there is that if they fo- if a critical mass of borrowers stopping back their debt, they could take losses on the bonds. And that's basically never happened in auto bonds, just a couple times in the 90s. And it was like a really, really different scenario. So Wall Street is starting to get worried about how like, consumers are paying back their debt or not within the auto sector.
3: Why is it so unusual to see losses here?
0: Well, it's very unusual because the way this bonds work is that you put up a lot of collateral, meaning you put up a lot more loans than you expect them to default. So when that one loan defaults, you take it out of the basket. But right now, so many loans are defaulting that there's just not enough protection for investors. So these, like the borrowers, like the bondholders of those riskiest trenches, stand to take losses if borrowers keep defaulting at the same rate, and that's we're almost there basically. And that would be a really big deal for the autobond market because it's just never happened before in the public autobond space.
3: Tell me, though, is this like subprime?
0: Yes. So it's um, it's it's subprime. It's not prime debt. So it's prime. It's debt given out to. Kind of like the riskiest borrowers, like people that have like maybe lower FICO scores or that have like maybe don't have W-2s. It just depends. But um, it's usually like borrowers that have like lower credit scores or lower capability of paying it back.
3: But by subprime, I mean, you know, the last time I heard subprime defaults on this scale, it was uh, 2008, and the whole housing market was falling apart, and that led to a catastrophe. Are we talking about the same same scale here?
0: It's not the same scale, no. Um, first of all, like, auto, auto loans are much shorter in nature. So they're also, like, the loan sizes are smaller. It's not like if you have a mortgage. Like, a mortgage is almost, in the U.S., a mortgage can be, like, a 30-year product. So you're really tied to that as a borrower. But, like, look... Auto loans can be like five years, can be three years, so you can kind of pay it back. So it's not the same scale at all. Um, and in this case, in subprime auto loans, it's just this is happening. Subprime auto bonds defaulting is just happening with some lenders that were particularly tailored to risky borrowers. So it's not happening across the space yet.
3: And some investors are going to take a loss. How much are they going to lose? Are they going to get wiped out?
0: They could get. They could potentially get wiped out. We just have to see. How those defaults evolve. So if if a critical mass actually defaults, yes, they could stand to lose almost everything on those bonds. Like they would take losses on the principal, not on the interest, which is a pretty big deal. Um, but we we still have to see. We're not there yet.
3: So some investors, um, you know, large investors, presumably institutional guys, they 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 took some risk. Now they take some losses. Who cares? I mean, is there a bigger impact from this? I mean, is there a ripple effect that that, that rips through the entire structured finance market? Is is there something that, that's going to blow up here? Do you think?
0: So one of the one of the bigger takeaways of this is just like this this subprime lenders, um, auto lenders, kind of like started relying a lot on the asset backed securities market to get liquidity, um, and they issued like their their issuance went up by a lot in the past five years. Um, So kind of the takeaway is that if investors start losing faith on these kind of bonds, how are these lenders going to get financing? And do we expect to see more of these lenders go bankrupt?
3: And then sort of underlying it though, I mean, um, is this just really a story about the US consumer? Is that where the pressure is coming from?
0: Yeah, that's correct. And it, it goes back to the same thing, right? Like if there's fewer subprime lenders out there available to give credit to consumers, where consumers gonna get financing for their needs? They're just gonna be squeezed out of the market.
3: And those subprime consumers that we're talking about—they depend in, on a car in lots of cases yeah. for their livelihood. They need it to get to work. It's the last thing they'll give up, you know. Before that, you know, maybe housing is is the last, but but the car is is next to last. Does it imply some kind of desperation on the behalf of uh, American consumers?
0: It's definitely showing that there's a portion of American consumers that cannot withstand this current rates the current rate environment and they're they're just running out of the pandemic savings. And if they can't get liquidity from, you know, their credit cards or their auto debt, where are they gonna go? So it definitely signals that the economy is turning.
3: Is there any regional pattern to this? Are there parts of the country that are doing better or worse th- as far as we know? So
0: the lenders that have gone bust were most mostly and more in the south and in the north of the U.S., uh, but it, but it's broadly speaking, it's happening across the country.
3: So, just going back to the financial engineering aspect, you, you mentioned that that term always really worries me. You know, the most complex, least transparent markets are often where trouble starts. <laughs> um, you know, how sh- how worried should we be about structured finance right now? Are we expecting this to lead to another financial crisis?
0: I don't think it's gonna be a broad financial crisis. I think we're gonna see it more, like kind of like more pockets of the market go bad. So just like, for instance, in the autobound space, it's subprime auto and it's specific lenders. Um, and I think that's gonna basically happen across everything that's st- structured, It's just like specific pockets, specific companies that are that cannot withstand the current rate environment. And that kind of grew a lot when rates were really low.
3: And the rates on these things, a lot of it's floating rate, right? So it adjusts as base rates rise?
0: Yeah, it it really depends. For instance, like mortgages are mostly fixed. Like it really depends on what product we're talking about. But um, yes, like you're just seeing more consumers struggle with how much they have to pay on their debt.
3: So before we talk to Paul Vickers at Bloomberg Intelligence, what's the next big thing we should be watching here, Carmen? More downgrades, more losses, more distress?
0: Yeah, that's basically, we should be watching for which subprime lender is going to struggle next, basically. And where where are they going to go for liquidity? If they can't go to the bond market, are they going to go to private credit? Are they going to go to distressed buyers? Like, What's the next step for them?
3: Great stuff. Carmen Arroyo from Bloomberg News, thank you so much for joining us. Read all of Carmen's scoops on the Bloomberg terminal and of course at Bloomberg.com. So as I mentioned earlier, there's a crisis in the UK water sector. And we're very pleased to have with us Paul Vickers, who covers utilities for Bloomberg Intelligence based in London. How's it going, Paul?
2: James, hi. All, all good here, thanks.
3: Great. So Thames Water is the UK's biggest water provider they polluted the rivers and they're being investigated by regulators and they're at risk of being nationalized because they, they can't pay back $18 billion equivalent in debt. Things are evolving. We're talking on July 5th. Um, but what's the situation today, Paul? The bonds have dropped again. What's the latest?
2: Yeah, well, the bonds are certainly jumping around quite a lot. I mean, we don't usually get this volatility in, in water bonds. It should be very stable and stable regime. We're waiting for Thames Water to release their annual report, which is due by the 15th of June. Uh, that should give a lot more information. What we're also waiting for is to see if they can uh, get another billion pounds from their shareholders, who have um, stumped up around half a half a billion only in March of this year. They probably need that that other billion that they had earmarked in their business plan, their eight-year business plan from uh, the launch in 2021. Uh, of course, the CEO has resigned since then, so maybe that business plan is uh, is maybe uh, not so not so valid anymore. But certainly, they need to. Uh, to get that money from uh, from shareholders. And press reports at the weekend were, were were encouraging in that respect. But they certainly need that. Otherwise, they are at risk of getting put into what's called a, a special administration regime, regime, or an SAR, which, as you mentioned, is a sort of, it's a form of, it's an alternative to insolvency, if you like, imposed uh, by the regulator on essential services like energy and, uh, and water to ensure that these companies can keep Providing the services to essential services to the, the customers uh, while a new buyer is found. And this is the last time we saw this, it was bulb uh, uh, energy during the energy crisis, and you're getting transferred to octopus energy. So we have one example of this happening. Um, you know, obviously, bondholders and everyone in terms of what I'm sure, hopes we can avoid a second one. But uh, I think for that to happen, it is going to need quite a considerable cash injection uh, from existing shareholders, and hopefully, we'll have that. Uh, I assume the news may come with an annual report on the on the 15th of June, which is the regulatory deadline, at least, for the annual report. But so, yeah, we're, we're keeping an eye on the news until then.
3: As you say, Paul, water is a very stable business. Um, what's the history, though? How did it get into
2: so much trouble? Uh, well, yeah, Thames does have the highest uh, gearing in its sector. Uh, as you say, they've got about £14 billion pounds worth of debt, uh, $18 billion, as you say. But this amounts to around uh, 80% of the sort of regulatory capital value. Uh, and that's above what uh, off, off what sees a sort of a level of 60%. That's a level that it it is sets its sort of regulatory formula on and remunerates companies accordingly. So uh, companies are free to set their gearing above the 60% guideline. Uh, and Thames has been at 80% for many years and plans to stay there for, for many more. Uh, but of course, yeah, this increases the you know, the risk and the return profile, um, yeah, you know, for, for shareholders. Uh, but obviously, know, we'll the risk side of that has been exposed by. Large, well, a, a, and a, poor operational performance. You say that they've got a poor track record on water leakage and sewer leakage. They've been fined for that uh, customer service. Their the operational record isn't good. But the bigger problem, really, is all the sort of financial pressure they're under. And all of that arises from the, the spike in inflation, which, uh, which we've seen uh, over the last year or so in the UK. Uh, yeah, this has a number of effects on Thames Water. And really, it's the factor that's putting them under financial pressure. And if the regulator see, deems they might be unlikely to be able to pay their debts, and that's a subjective view from the regulator, they can put them into an SAR. And, and all the evidence points to the fact that they are certainly getting uh, very, uh, very tight against the sort of interest cover ratios. I mean, what's happening is you know, earnings are decreasing as, as the costs to, to, to replace pipes and, and pay their staff are increasing a lot faster than, than their revenues. Uh, It's also increasing interest costs on on, on their debt, uh, 58% of which is linked to RPI, and also any uh, any new debt they issue in the market. It's also seen that the fair value of the index linked debt, which increases uh, with inflation, and that's rising fast in the regulatory capital value. So all of these things are, are coming into play, particularly as RPI has moved well above uh, CPI, which is what their revenues are based on. The gap's now around 4%. So the costs are rising 4% faster than, than the revenues uh, are increasing at the same time. So that's, you know, say, reducing earnings, it's reducing interest cover, it's increasing gearing. Uh, it's putting a lot of pressure Uh, on those those covenant levels. And and the last time they reported them in September, they're getting close to what we call a a trigger covenant level, in which case, you know, bondholders can sort of step in and and, and demand a sort of explanation and and remedial action. Uh, They're not not further headroom away from default levels. So we're not at that sort of extreme point yet. But when they do release, that was six months ago, when they do release the latest results, uh, you know, with this annual report due by the 15th of July, you know, I expect to see further pressure on, on those ratios because uh yeah inflation has still been rising that gap between rpi and cpi has increased even further so we're really waiting to see where they are and if they are breaching any trigger covenant levels uh yeah or, or on a full-year basis in which case uh, without the equity injection the regulator would be fully entitled to, to put them into an sar
3: so it's a uh, basically a privatization um the the new owners um levered up a lot of floating rate a lot of inflation linked debt as you say they paid themselves dividends um they kind of ran this thing into the ground and and walk off and the government steps in i mean what's the what's the big lesson here paul
2: yeah well certainly privatization happened a long time ago and thames has been running with very high gearing for a long time and they sorry the shareholders haven't actually taken dividends out of the company for around six years so so for them it's not been a particularly great investment recently the thames does have a very high one of the highest sort of capital expenditures it's the largest um Uh, Water Company in the UK, as you say, it serves a sort of, you know, Thames Valley, London area. So there's some pretty complicated old Victorian pipes and sewers they have to deal with. They're building a big super sewer along the Thames to try and alleviate some of those pressures. But it's certainly been a very challenging environment for, for Thames Water. And the shareholders, as they haven't taken dividends and they've put another 500 million in in March. They've been asked now to put another billion in. Whether they do or not, we'll have to see. Uh, but, yeah, certainly, yeah, the, the, the SAR is not quite nationalisation. I mean, what it would be is that the regulator would be looking for a new buyer to transfer the business to. And they would be obliged to accept the best offer, not a market offer or, or, or any reasonable offer, but they would be obliged to accept the best offer. And, of course, that may well mean if the alternative is insolvency or nationalisation, that could mean a sort of the equity holders getting zeroed and, and the bonds taking, or, not, or all the debt possibly, taking quite a significant haircut. Uh, you know a very uh, broad sort of rule of thumb we looked at if a new owner wanted to take this company on at 60% gearing instead of the current 80% it would have to write the total amount of debt down by 25% and that would be you know a worst case scenario but it just sort of shows the extent of the risk you know facing the bondholders and certainly equity holders and uh, equity holders now face the dilemma do we put another billion in is that enough to keep it going is that enough to provide enough liquidity and repay the debt that they've got due, I think 1.8 billion of debt due next year, next year in 2024. Is is that going to be enough to, for this to survive as a going concern and then in the long run turn it around and hope to get the dividends back in the future? I mean, it's a very long game. The, the water business, is strong, it's stable. Um, you know, so they can take a very long-term view here and they may see this is the short-term pressure and another billion isn't really a, a problem. But you know, it really is going to hinge on whether they get that extra capital.
3: And some of the bonds were they not protected by some kind of clause that if there was nationalisation they'd get made whole?
2: I believe there were some uh, some private placements that were made during the time when the Labour Party under Jeremy Corbyn were talking about nationalising the water industry I think when they issued some bonds at that particular time uh, investors were concerned so they put a covenant in saying that the nationalisation would, would be able to like a change of control if you like due to nationalisation be able to uh, investors could put them back apart. That doesn't apply to most of the bonds. They were in existence for, for a lot longer than that and the ones issued more recently. It's not seen a problem because obviously uh, uh, that, that, that sort of pressure has gone away. And say so an SAI isn't a nationalization. It, it's a different thing. It, it's, it's where uh, it's put into a special regime in order to transfer the assets to a new uh, private buyer who would take it on, presumably at a, you know, at, a, at a sort of bargain basement price at a discount to par or zero equity value and, and try and turn it around. Uh, The last resort, if they couldn't find a buyer, then the last resort would almost have to be nationalisation. And, yeah, some of those bonds could, under those circumstances, uh, could trigger those clauses. But it really only applies to a few uh, private placements, not the vast majority of their public debt.
3: What's your base case now, Paul? Can they avoid special administration?
2: Can they avoid it? Well, only if they get this um, uh, capital injection from their shareholders, in my opinion. Uh, as I said, press reports were favorable now over the weekend. There's some very large, uh, long-term sort of uh, uh, infrastructure funds, some uh, uh, pension funds in there, some sovereign wealth funds. So there's, you know, there's certainly some, some, uh, some deep-pocketed shareholders who could take a very long-term view on this and say, yeah, we, we do still like the sector. There is another regulatory review coming up in 2025 when maybe some of these problems could be resolved and we still have faith in the sort of the UK uh, you know, water system as it spans. So yeah, we we have to hope for that extra billion. Uh, as I say, that should be, you know, the news on that certainly should be coming with, with, with the annual report. But short of that, then they really, they have plenty of, they say, liquidity, they said they're 4.4 billion of liquidity. Uh, whether they can draw all on that, all of that down is it, debatable because they have some other covenants that restrict the amount of debt maturities they can have over the 24 over month period. So, yeah, they certainly have. They say they have a bit of sufficient liquidity, but certainly that billion capital is required to to shore up the balance sheet. Probably bring gearing down from about eighty to to around seventy-five percent. It would alleviate any sort of uh, of the liquidity, the debt uh, problems that they have. It would immediately solve their uh, sort of low interest cover problems, but I mean, as they redeem debt, hopefully with some of that cash, it would it would should ensure they shouldn't uh, breach their trigger levels at least. But that's certainly what's needed. I think the regulator. Uh, the off what rather was in front of Parliament uh, a day or two ago saying they may well need more than a billion that was their view so we have to see what's going to be forthcoming so that really is the only way I think they can avoid an SAR
3: if I'm a a debt investor sitting anywhere not not just in the UK but you know anywhere in the world I'm thinking about conservative long term you know maybe they're not massive returns but they should be stable I'm gonna think about utilities I'm gonna think you know possibly about water because everyone needs it what other takeaways from this situation, Paul, for the broader sector, you know, not just in the UK, but I mean, are there any other other bigger takeaways for for utilities in general?
2: I think this is isolated to the UK water sector. It's really down to it's the mismatch between the, the CPIH linked revenues, which are much lower, and the RPI linked costs that they have. Uh, and that, that gap is creating pressure on the financial position in the UK water sector. That doesn't apply to other regulated sectors in the UK, which are maybe still RPI based and don't have the same uh, sort of levels of gearing as, as Thames Water, for example. So, in my view, it's certainly restricted to the UK water sector. But that's quite a big sector. I mean, there's around £60 billion worth of debt in the sector. That's bond and bank debt. So, I mean, it's a big sector. I mean, it's around you know, 8 or 10% of the sort of, uh, sort of European, pan-European uh, uh, utilities index. So, so, it's enough to make it make it a difference and to have ripple effects, you know, across the broader sector and markets and, and, and disturb confidence in and what's uh, an what's otherwise strong sector. If you look at other European utilities, now the energy crisis is kind of it, it is over. They're doing very well. And, and they really, this is a sort of an isolated event. Um, it might not be isolated just at Thames Water. We did an analysis looking at other companies that may be susceptible as well, looking at companies with particularly high gearing or very high proportion of RPI-linked debt or very low interest coverage. Uh, and companies like Affinity, uh, Welsh Water, anglian and Southern certainly uh, raised a few red flags in that respect. That's not to say they're going to get dragged into it, but I think if anyone else is, is at risk of getting dragged into this sort of CPI, RPI mismatch, it could be companies like that that have sort of um, uh, stressed financial positions, shall we say. But again, Thames is almost a a nice unique event, a unique company in that it has the sector's highest gearing, 80%, the average is around 65, has very low interest coverage, quite a high proportion of RPI linked debt and a poor operational performance. And you combine all those things and you end up where we are. I don't think any other company is quite in the same position. So read across at the minute is limited with Thames. But as you've seen on other companies' bonds, other water company sector bonds, the spreads have widened, yields have risen uh, because of the increased risk that people are, are assigning to them.
3: Thanks very much, Paul Vickers of Bloomberg Intelligence. You can read all of his great analysis on the Bloomberg Terminal. Do check it out. And hope to see you back on the show soon, Paul.
2: Yeah, I look forward to it. Thanks, James.
3: And thanks again to Carmen Arroyo from Bloomberg News. Read all of her great structured finance scoops on the terminal and at Bloomberg.com.
0: Thanks, James.
3: I'm James Crombie. It's been a pleasure having you. Join us again next week on The Credit Edge.